Okay, this is going to be the first episode of Neural Liberty, which is my podcast that I want to, I, I've been intending to start this for a while, but I finally got some validation, and so this just feels like the right time. I guess I'll just briefly explain the idea of Neural Liberty. So I was heavily inspired by Sean Carroll's Mindscape podcast. Sean Carroll is a <clears throat> physicist and a professor, and so he's super bright. Physics is a cool subject because you just really understand how certain kind of physical principles work, and then it's really interesting how often these principles of physics apply to psychology and more social dynamics. And if, if you listen to the podcast, you'll really see what I mean by that. So he's a physicist, which is like theoretical physics is, is super complex, dense stuff. But the theme of his podcast is, is a quote, a science, society, philosophy, culture, arts, and ideas. So even though he could be talking about physics stuff that maybe 1% of the population wouldn't grasp, he chose to apply his perspective to issues that are more relatable to a general audience. I really appreciated his very uh, kind of technical and logical perspective on these more emotional and, and social issues. The theme of neural liberty, I, I came up with the term because I, I'm interested in mental health and on TikTok there's been a lot of discourse about kind of people who struggle with mental health issues sharing their perspective which has been nice because in the past mental health was always it was this very clinical and everything was just based on the dsm where it was just this every super rigid standards like i think of in, in the sopranos when tony's son gets tested for adhd and he met five of the six, it was eight criteria or something. He met five of the criteria and in order to be diagnosed and receive any support or treatment, you have to have six out of the however many criteria. And so he obviously exhibited these symptoms, but they have such rigid standards for diagnosing that he wasn't able to receive the support he needed. And that's something that I experienced as well. So I have for a while believed that we need to discuss mental health and different conditions instead of focusing hyperfixating on these kind of symptom clusters of these different labels for a set of symptoms and then having these just very rigid treatments for this big group of symptoms instead of addressing individual symptoms and instead of working to treat this supposed condition which is just a cluster of symptoms, which different people experienced, like Tony's son, where he had five of these symptoms, instead of just saying, oh, you have ADHD or you don't, and if you have ADHD, here's this blanket treatment, and if you don't, you're shit out of luck, I would encourage parents and mental health professionals to try to deal with symptoms on the individual level. And so if this kid has five out of the eight symptoms, don't just say, oh, he doesn't have six, so he's like everyone else. Just address those five symptoms. That just makes sense to me. So anyways, the term neural liberty came from 
I really don't like the term neurodivergent because it, especially we have neurotypicals and neurodivergence and the idea of just those labels are designed to <clears throat> encourage conformance to these just societal standards of you're either typical or you're divergent. And I just, as someone who would identify as neurodivergent, I don't, I don't like being labeled as divergent. I like being like, obviously I'm different. And I think that's a good thing. I think if we treat neurotypicality as the norm, but if everyone was neurotypical, there would be no type of diversity of perspectives. It would just be a bunch of people listening to pop music and just obeying all of these societal norms and we'd never have any progress or, or culture or art or music or anything. No innovation ever, just conformance. And so by changing the label of instead of, oh, you're divergent, you're neurodivergent, you're diverging from the norms, you're not obeying these societal norms. No, you're neuroliberal, you're a, a free thinker. And so you're not constrained by this societal conditioning of everyone has to think the same way. If people label themselves as neurodivergent and feel ashamed of that, then obviously it's unhealthy and it, it constrains their identity in just this toxic way. It prevents people from being who they are. That's, I guess that's, that, that's the origin of the term neuroliberty. I like to say we're not divergent thinkers, we're free thinkers. The, the other idea that I've, that kind of connects to this concept of neuroliberty that I've been studying is I've heard it in multiple contexts, but I really appreciated, I, I studied Jungian psychology and Carl Jung's depiction of the psyche, which it, it's that it was heavily popularized by on TikTok, that, that shadow work journal, which uh, was based on Carl Jung's identification of the shadow, which is like this part of yourself that you don't really identify with and suppress, but in suppressing it, you project it in this weird way that other people can pick up on and you don't realize how you're projecting it. It's just unhealthy. The idea is that if you can understand your shadow and basically allow it to be part of your identity instead of trying to push it away and suppress it, then you can be a healthier person and have a healthier psyche and hopefully not project those insecurities about your own identity. Anyways, part of Jung's depiction of the psyche includes this concept of the anima and the animus, which is this just, it, it just means this masculine and, and feminine energy. I can definitely uh, relate to sensing those two energies within myself. We all have this kind of conscious, like this voice in our head, but I often hear it as more of a dialogue. It's, it's not one voice in my head. It, it really feels like two voices that have two different perspectives. And I do think everyone has this, has these two kind of perspectives within them, whether they are aware of it or not. I don't know how different people treat those two voices. I know that I, I try to respect them both and not like they're, they're, they're conflicting in their perspectives, but I try to respect them both as if they're two valuable perspectives. They, they differ, but there's, it's never the case that one is right or one is wrong. They just have two different opinions on things. I, I believe that 
for one thing, as far as neurotypicality and societal conditioning and the gender association with these two voices, I'm pretty certain that society conditions men to ignore the anima voice, that feminine perspective, and just be more uh, masculine and logical and stuff, less, less emotional. And then obviously women are encouraged to not pursue logic and, and just be more emotional that societal conditioning is much, much less so today than it was in the past. I, I think about how my parents, at least, when they went to school, all the men were encouraged to take shop classes and uh, learn how to work on cars and carpentry and stuff like that. And the women were taking these like home ec classes, learning how to sew and cook and be basically be this feminine figure as society perceived that role. And, and the same with men. In the past, it, it's there's just like obviously there's some logic to it where when we were hunter gatherers, males adapted to be stronger and more athletic, and women adapted to have different skills. Where when they were gathering, for example, and they were picking berries, the men didn't have to think that hard. All they had to do was chase an animal or, or go fish in their boat all day, things like that. Whereas the women had a different kind of thinking that they had to apply, but it's just more emotional. Uh, so anyways, the, the point is that men and women did adapt in certain ways to, to favor more logical or emotional thinking. And that had societal benefits in the past when we were less advanced and we didn't have public education and uh, society was not nearly as civilized as it is today. But now that we have this more equal society where there's, we're not hunter-gatherers certainly, and it's not like the importance of uh, the different strengths of each sex are not as relevant anymore. In the past, it, it did make sense for men to prioritize their logical thinking and women to prioritize their emotional thinking but now just as everything is changing, um, there's not as many physical labor jobs. We have like construction equipment and stuff now. And most, the, the majority of modern jobs require more cognitive labor than physical. And so in cognitive labor, you do have to have more of a balance between logical and emotional thinking. I've been reading this book that it was, it's been on my list for a while. And I actually was planning to read it once, but I just, I wasn't even in the mental space to hear it, but then I tried again uh, recently and I still wasn't quite, it, it, it's a hard listen, but it helped me a lot. And so the book is Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. And I think a lot of people can relate to that sentiment. Obviously some people can't, but it's typically the eldest sibling. Basically, no one really knows how to be a parent. You have to learn on the job. And a lot of parents, their first child, they have a lot of emotional immaturity that they haven't gotten over. And so having this relationship with the child, your own child, either forces that emotional maturity from the parent, or if the, the parent can't find that emotional maturity, it forces it from the child. And so the, the child has to recognize their parent's emotional immaturity and then play the parent role for their parent, which is super challenging for children because they're obviously mentally immature and definitely emotionally immature, but they're 
just forced to develop faster than is healthy and normal. And so that's, it's un- unfortunate that children are forced to develop too fast like that. But if you are able to survive that development and, and grow up to basically play that role of, of parenting your parents and developing that emotional maturity, it can be advantageous in life where you're uh, more equipped to deal with challenges and be independent than someone who didn't have to develop their emotional maturity because they had healthier parents who were able to just support them and not force the kid to do a lot of thinking for themselves. They could just rely on their parents. So it's it's a bit of a trade-off. It's very challenging to grow up with emotionally mature parents, but what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And so if you can surpass that challenge, then you come out more developed than a lot of people your age. So anyways, I've been, I don't have the attention span to read books anymore. I, I read a ton when I was a kid. And then I found out about technology. Now, like back then they didn't have iPads, thank God. If they didn't have iPads, they didn't have iPad kids. Anyways, now I listen to audiobooks because I, I always try to encourage people to read, but obviously I don't even actually read myself. I just listen to audiobooks, but it's about acquiring that knowledge, right? It's not about doing the reading specifically. This is just to say that I, I would encourage everyone to try to listen to more audiobooks. I know it's pretty boring. Um, I, I love listening to music, and when I'm listening to audiobooks, I can't listen to music, obviously. But you just have to, you don't have to have that discipline. But if you want to pursue knowledge and uh, try to be your greatest self, you do have to have that discipline. Let's see, what, what I'm trying to say is that since I'm encur- encouraging people to listen to audiobooks, how, how I do it is I use the app Libby. Libby lets you connect to libraries or it lets you log in if you have a library card and check out ebooks and audiobooks virtually. And then it automatically, you can put yourself on, on uh, the wait list for a book if it's not available. And then you can select how long you'd like to borrow it and then it automatically returns it for you. So you don't have to worry about late fees or anything. It's very convenient. And then also if you have multiple library cards, they recently added a feature where if you look for a book in the past, I'd have to, like I have an Oakland and Berkeley library card and I'm trying to get a couple more, like uh, it would be Hayward and Alameda County. And then basically if I'm looking for a book and the Oakland library doesn't have it now, it will also search the other libraries that I'm logged in with Libby. So that's, it's, it's, really awesome. And I'd highly recommend it's, it's pretty easy to go get a library card. And then once you have it, you don't need to keep it in your wallet or anything. You just type in the number on Libby and then uh, stick the card somewhere and you don't really ever need it again. Um, you can just get basically unlimited books for free, which is awesome. Obviously not everything's available from the library. So I also found a bunch of books by pirating them. Pirate Bay, literally, I just went, I found a whole, it was like a folder of different business books a bunch of books that were already on my list but then whoever made this compilation it was just a really well selected bunch of books um, that I've been working my way through so that's been awesome uh, to have access to that and I just wanted to share that information but anyways I wanted to read this quote from adult children of emotionally immature parents that perfectly uh, describes this phenomenon, maybe not perfectly, but very well describes this phenomenon that I've been pursuing 
of the logical left brain and emotional right brain and the importance of you have to appreciate both and you you can't favor one or the other you have to favor both so anyways this quote i'll, I'll just read it and then uh, discuss it after so here we go internalized parental voices probably originate in the left hemisphere of the brain where language and logic rule when the left brain is allowed to run the show, it puts perfectionism and efficiency before feeling and judgment before compassion. Without the balance provided by the more personal and intuitive right side of the brain, your left brain will use machine-like equations of right and wrong to size you up. Its moralistic voice will tell you that you're either good or bad, perfect or broken, depending on what you accomplish. This kind of judgmental logic is an aspect of the mental rigidity that accompanies emotional immaturity. I, I think that on the subject of adult children of emotionally immature parents, I, I think that having emotionally immature parents, it forces some emotional maturity, but it more kind of suppresses emotion. When you have emotionally mature parents who say hurtful things and stuff, you can't take it to heart too much or it really harms your mental health and so you quiet down the that right side of your brain because it, it just is painful to hear we can tend to become overly logical and just analyze things in this very non-emotional way to cope with reality because reality definitely can be hard to deal with often and so i think if you relate to being that adult child of an emotionally mature parent it's important to in order to cope, you have to understand your parents' emotional maturity. It almost always stems from their parents being emotionally mature. And so if you can understand the relationship between your parents and their parents, then you can more easily understand your parents' relationship with you and see what things are right about and what things are wrong about. Because both my parents were emotionally mature in, in uh, very different ways, where I don't know, I'm not really going to get into it right now, but both my parents had strengths and weaknesses, right? And so it was, if, if you can empathize with the causes of their weaknesses, then you can appreciate their strengths and almost appreciate their weaknesses in a way. And if you're able to do that, then you can exhibit those strengths in yourself and hopefully avoid exhibiting those weaknesses. If you can relate to this at all, this idea of being the adult child, I, for one thing, I definitely recommend uh, reading the book, but also trying to just will yourself to be more in tune with the, the balance between those two voices and respect them both. Just like your parents have two different perspectives and they're, sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. If, you, if one of your parents convinces you that everything that your other parent says is a lie and you can't trust anything, then you have this kind of imbalance where there's these two different perspectives and if you can't appreciate one of those perspectives then you have a more narrow perspective yourself which is it's it's not the worst thing in the world but it's not optimal if you want to be the best version of yourself you do have to practice and and as much as possible be in tune with your your logical thinking and your emotional thinking if you don't suppress one side or the other. You can allow them to work together and almost have a discussion to align the logical and emotional perspective. And that's where you can find 
a, a stronger truth. To get back to the idea of neural liberty and how we're societally conditioned, typically for men to be very stoic and not very emotional and just highly logical, and women are often encouraged to be more in tune with their emotions and not exhibit logical thinking, just be people pleasers, just be agreeable. There's just this societal standard that men are more logical and are supposed to be more logical and women are more emotional and are supposed to be more emotional. And I just don't agree with that. I think men and women are supposed to be both logical and emotional. As far as Carl Jung's idea of the shadow goes, when we suppress one side or the other, that's where the shadow develops. When we suppress part of our identity, having that shadow, it's harmful personally because you're living with this part of yourself that you can't accept, but it's also harmful to people around you where they can sense that you're not being your full true self. And when people can sense that, they can just tell that you're not being yourself. They don't know what your true self is because it seems like you don't know either. You're, you're not behaving like yourself and so you're being judged by how you're behaving, which is someone other than you. If you have a broken toe or something, you can feel that constantly every step you take. But when you have a large shadow, you maybe feel something is off, but it, it's much harder to identify than a pain in your foot, for example. It's just something feels off and you don't know what it is. And so I, I believe what it is, this lack of balance between uh, emotional and logical thinking. And I would just encourage everyone to try to have that awareness for themselves and then also encourage others to have that awareness, especially if you are a parent or you intend to be a parent in the future. You, you definitely, if you are going to be a parent, you have to if you want to be a good parent, right? You have to try to eliminate your own shadow and integrate it. That's what I was, the word I was looking for earlier. Integrate that shadow aspects of self in order to be a healthy parent so that you can prevent your children from developing a large shadow as well. I, I think that's all I have for now. I, I definitely want to try to keep uploading a podcast, maybe weekly or something. Although I don't know how consistent the theme will be because I've covered a lot of what I wanted to say on this topic, and so I, I couldn't make a bunch of episodes about this exact theme, because I just don't have that much to say. So the next episode will probably be a pretty distinctly different theme, but it's just, it's neural liberty, it's just whatever I'm thinking, whatever I want to express at the time. Yeah, thank you for listening to this, and I, I hope you'll look out for future episodes.